Hello and welcome to the World of Mouth podcast, where we share the stories of the world's best chefs and their favorite destinations to travel and eat. My name is Kenneth Nars and I'm the creative director of World of Mouth, a platform that connects over 500 restaurant experts who share their favorite places. From the best places to grab a slice of pizza to the latest must-visit new restaurant opening. With us today we have a Danish-Italian chef based in Copenhagen. After working in restaurants in France and at the legendary El Bouilly, he worked for a few years as sous-chef at Noma. Meet Christian Puglisi, who took his first steps as a restaurateur in 2010 when he opened his restaurants Relais and Manfreds. In the following years, Relais received a Michelin star, entered the world's 50 best restaurants list and received the Sustainable Restaurant Award. Christian Puglisi has now returned to his Italian gastronomic roots by focusing on his restaurants Beast and the newly opened Mirabel Spiceria. We asked Christian Puglisi to tell us a bit more about himself and his culinary journey. So, who is Christian Puglisi? Oh, that's a, <laughs> you have to ask my uh, psychologist, <laughs> my therapist. Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm an uh, Italian immigrant in, in Denmark, and I'm a chef and uh, uh, restaurateur. And uh, I've been uh, uh, thinking and practicing gastronomy for 25 years. Yeah, 25 years since I was uh, 17. Uh, yeah, and with all its uh, its uh, uh, ups and downs and, and good and bad things, I I'm. I'm I'm very much a man of uh, the restaurant business, and I, I enjoy that very much. So tell me, uh, we are now sitting at uh, your restaurants, and uh, this is a very uh, hectic moment uh, in the history of this restaurant because you are opening a new style of uh, one of the restaurants. Yes. Tell me something about it. So the when the in the conception of based in Mirabel to begin with in 2014, soon to be 10 years ago. Uh, base was very much the focus and Mirabel just became kind of a little side shoot and we just did a bakery that was kind of because we wanted the bread and we wanted the pizza dough to be made by bakers and then the natural uh, way to go about it was to open a bakery around it uh, very briefly I could see that it wasn't really um, my most uh, uh, thought out sort of idea <clears throat> and we kept building things onto it and more and more restaurants sort of took over the place and then I realized at one point uh, last year uh, two things first of all we have made sort of a layer cake of when you, you if you uh, every day bake a new layer and put it on top at one point it's like okay well, what the hell is going on here it's too much of a mix second of all I really feel that the sort of the gastronomic bakery scene has kind of uh, uh, oversaturated itself here, not just on a business point of view, but like it's to me, it's very fun to be on a steep learning curve and to try new things. And uh, I've been successfully using the bakery for that as well with very talented bakers that have been here. We've tried and made different things, but it seems like now Copenhagen has kind of stretch it as far as possible what the hell you can do with a fast allowance baller and uh, yes it's like wow there's so much and you know it's it's just a different rhythm today in terms of developing new things and getting new ideas because from from you getting an idea to trying it out 
like the public will know about it in just about 30 minutes because you know we're so communicative with everything and uh, Instagram here and there and showing things and so everything just spreads as a wildfire and kind of then falls to the ground maybe briefly after no like if you uh, if when Karem uh, invented the pastry cream it probably took 50 years before anybody knew about it you know like now we are a in the, in a completely different time where just the thought of uh, putting eggs and cream and vanilla together everybody would know and everybody would kind of follow up on it in in a in a question of weeks and then you know so it goes so fast and and then i felt okay pff, i don't think there's much more in this to be honest i i don't i feel it's stagnating and mostly because my uh, personal motivation for it kind of just mm, came to its end you know let's i want to do something else so shut down the bakery stop the whole uh, takeaway coffee takeaway pastries all that stuff that kind of follows that uh, concept and uh, let's think about something new and um, that's where i uh, uh, enjoy being you know because that's that's where the steep learning curve is so what what do we want to do here and then my my uh, my mind came a little bit more to uh, towards sicily uh, based on two things first uh, based was my first sort of looking back at my own roots because when I opened Relay Memphis it was very much dedicated to not having sort of any geographical predicament or the idea of it being Nordic was no go the idea of it being Italian was no go but base was more like I look back at my roots it doesn't say here it's an Italian restaurant and that's very much on purpose it's, it doesn't say Italian restaurant it doesn't say authentic Italian restaurant and I believe the base is an authentic, authentic restaurant because it's not trying to be an authentic Italian restaurant. Mm. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, it, it did take me years of professional experience to have gathered the courage to look at my uh, own uh, uh, roots and um, sort of uh, heritage uh, with, with fresh eyes, you know. That, uh, yeah, I couldn't do that when I was 22, like uh, that, that was past my 30s. And then uh, now I felt uh, that I could kind of do that uh, more specifically with Sicily uh, rather than just a generic Italian thing that would be going on here based. And uh, um, uh, there was that on one side and then I've had the last four or five years uh, the big privilege of returning to Sicily to do some cooking events and and uh, uh, I was contacted by Tre Contrade which is this beautiful villa that does these... Uh, cookery schools from time to time uh, that kind of reunited myself with Sicily because I've had a a, I had a stretch of years where I was kind of growing tired of it my my uh, you know my I think at one point you just confront your childhood and uh, and then you you have periods where you're infatuated with it and then your periods are like oh fuck this shit you know like oh come on Uh, and I had that moment uh, and then uh, Tre Contrade kind of just showed me a side of Sicily that I didn't have access to as a child, and I realized, oh my, oh my God, this is this is also Sicily. It is actually as beautiful as people say, you know, mm-hmm. everything fantastic, you know, the beautiful pink villa in a in a lemon grove and just citrix everywhere and fresh fish and cooking at a very high level. Wow, I was like, man, I just love this, and I was so inspired by cooking the food there that I thought, you know, that that's the kind of food that I think. I could make a space for here, and that's essentially um, what 
uh, was the first building blocks for making the new the new Mirabel. And, and that's, what's that's the what name? The name of the new Mirabel is yeah Spiceria. This is this is this is my. <laughs> I came up. I, I told my girlfriend, "What about Spiceria?" She's like, "What the hell does that mean?" I was like, "Yeah, it doesn't mean anything." But that's the good thing because uh, in in uh, the the way it ends, "ia" is very Sicilian. Like you, you, you very much use that wording in, Sic in Sicilian, and then it has a mix of a spicerie, which is the Danish uh, eatery, uh, which we used to call the restaurant part of Mirabel also before Mirabel Eatery, uh, and for me that the signals sort of a whole all day sort of simple uh, cooking, not too pretentious, and then obviously there's all the trattoria and vineria and all that osteria sort of Italian thing. And I thought, okay, spiceria and, and trattoria put together, that's spiceria. And plus it has the accent, so it sounds even more Sicilian. It's like, okay, we just invented a type of restaurant, and I, I want to make that here. So so that's okay. what I, I play with that word. So the first spiceria in the world, basically. Yes, for sure. I tried actually to make a Wikipedia page about it. <laughs> okay. But you need you need, uh, you need uh, sort of uh, people to support yeah. uh, the, 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 the wording. So it's like, okay, nobody knows about it yet. So... so. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so if we look uh, back more than these last years, mm -hmm. tell me about your your childhood, your background, your Italian heritage, growing up then in Denmark. Yeah. Um, what your way into cooking and into uh, the famous restaurants in the world? Yeah. How, how did that step by step? What what happened? Well, when I when I started the the. Um I started cooking when I when I realized, okay, this is what I want to do. I was not like at least back then. You would have this idea that you know cooks would be uh, uh, semi criminals, you know, like people that couldn't get about in the normal world. Um, I I was not at all like that. I had a very good uh, reading skills, and I was very good in school and stuff like that. And I was um, kind of interested in 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 maybe becoming a lawyer or something like this, no? Very um, sort of semi-intellectual, read a lot and stuff like that. Uh, but I also had a very uh, great fascination for uh, craft and just people, you know, just a person that can polish shoes to me. That was, uh, um, uh, you know, the muscle memory and repeating things. I was very much fascinated by that. And as a, as a kid, Uh, as an Italian immigrant in Denmark, uh, cooking and gastronomy was a big part of my identity, very clearly. To me, I came from a, a world where there was good food to a world where there was no good food. So uh, at one point in my teenage years, I was like... This was 1980s or 90s? Uh, we, we came to Denmark in 90, 1990. Yeah. So uh, with, with the years, uh, uh, as I was a teenager, I sort of realized, okay, I can actually combine the craft and my opinionated uh, 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 sense of gastronomy uh, to my livelihood. I, I want to do that. Uh, and then I started uh, uh, as, a, uh, uh, as an apprentice the, in the chef school, <clears throat> and that would uh, allow me to start in, uh, in France, because I thought I want to start where you know it originated. And to me, even though my love was always towards the Italian gastronomy, but I felt that Uh, that sort of high-level cooking originated from France, no? So I wanted to go to Paris. So I went to Paris and started in Paris. And, uh, you know, my apprenticeship was a little bit back and forth in Denmark and there and da, 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 da. And then how I, you know, it took me five, six years before I kind of stepped into the high level of cooking. 
which I think actually has been a benefit for me uh, ever since, also as a restaurateur, because I think you, you can suffer from only seeing the Michel Bra kind of world if if that's if that's your the, your way in you know it becomes very difficult to to run a cafe if all you can do is the gaggy you you know <laughs> like that's that's not easy but if you if you get if you get a little bit of that system in you a little bit more of a uh, uh, understanding actually to make compromise uh, and then you see the top 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 then I think you can you can better combine and better make the right type of compromise later on because there is no such thing as not making any compromises <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and um, so uh, that was kind of after my apprenticeship then I wanted to stage again and I went to uh, Paris again I went to t the Taiwan which was a three mission star at the time I think maybe it became three mission star again now but uh, anyways it, yeah. it was two stars at one point and then uh, uh, there I met another stage uh, uh, from Hungary that came fresh off the bully. And he was like a bully, a bully, a bully, a bully, a bully, a bully. And I was like, I went to Paris for, for that reason. Like I wanted, uh, uh, you know, Seul Meunier and uh, Turbot and- The classic things? You no, know, the classic things. That, that was very much my interest. Uh, so the bully was like, I knew what it was, but I was like, it didn't interest me at all. But he kept on talking about it in a way that really made me interested because he was talking about the depths of it, you know? Not the, the, the foams and the shit, but uh, how they would cook the shellfish and how they would work in the kitchen. And he, he was kind of like, he felt way superior than everything was going on at the Taiwan because he came from this place in Spain. And El Bulli, a few words about El Bulli for those who don't <clears throat> know that. Well, El Bulli was, at the time, this was 2005, and it was like, without doubt, the most uh, avant-garde restaurant in the world, renowned as being the best restaurant in the world, and based on this deconstruction of gastronomy, looking at uh, uh, techniques and pulling everything apart, and it was like Salvador Dali cooking food. No, it was crazy. And and Ferran Adria was was at the time literally just the most coveted person in in gastronomy, for sure. Uh, but uh, you know, after a while, he was he, he not about that. I was like, okay, I wanna wanna. Can you help me? I wanna try go there. And he he actually <laughs> pulled it through. So he got me connected, and I went there. And I went there in two thousand and six, and I did the the, the season stage as uh, just about everybody would do. Um, and and that was enough for me uh, because um, I could have stayed as a chef de partie, but uh, again, uh, my interest was more in the classics, and I thought that. Even though the bully completely changed my perspective, uh, you know, to me there was, there was a limit to how much uh, carrot foam and strange things you could kind of deal with. You know, like I really like their creative approach m much more than the, the actual output. You know, you know what I mean? Like to me, that it, it just rewired my brain. I saw things differently after just eight months of stash, but. Um, it, it wasn't uh, there wasn't any dishes there maybe except today two three that would be mostly in pastry to be honest that I would think man if I could just try that today like it's literally none but it's like the way that they did everything was like it, it, it's literally built into everything single dish that I make today for sure so that's that's I think is a, is a, is, a, is, a, is as big a, uh, an acknowledgement as you can give a restaurant <clears throat> But then I, I came back to 
to Copenhagen. Uh, then I wanted actually to do the Michel Bra, like Alain Ducasse kind of thing. But then uh, I was put in contact with Rene Retepi from Noma, and you know, we kind of need a sous chef. And Matt Orlando had been uh, the sous chef and was leaving. He then returned no, after I quit, and then he came back for his like head chef time. Um, but uh, Rene was like this crazy guy that wanted to do this Nordic restaurant, and it's like, okay, this is. Uh, This sounds and crazy. this was 2007. Seven. Seven. Yeah, yeah. So Noma had been around for a mm. few years? Yeah. I was there for three, four years, and, and uh, I had eaten there at one point. I was like, okay, nice. But I didn't, it didn't, uh, the, the dogmatic approach of the Nordic cuisine and all that had not sort of been shining through at the time. At least not for me. I didn't get it. Like, I didn't understand that that was how important it was. It was more maybe gimmicky to some extent you know the muskarks and the and the and the shrimps and the raw shrimps and all that stuff it was all great and it was a like a good meal but i didn't understand how important it was it was going to be uh, but when i talked to renee in the sort of job interviews before i understood that this was going to be important like this guy has a has one he has a determination and and this approach to the cooking Maybe fresh off the booty sort of rewiring of my brain, I was like, this this is going to go somewhere, man. This sounds really interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, I was right. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. And, and then I was so lucky, I feel, because I was at Noma. To me, if you would... Uh, uh, Noma's been uh, uh, 20 years, no? If you, if you... I was there for two, two and a half years. If, if I would choose free... I was all free to choose a slot of two, two and a half years of when to be there. I would still choose the ones that I was there. Mm. Because it was as the, the, the transformation from being normal restaurant with raw shrimps to world-class restaurant where everybody wants to go. In, it was in that period, you know. The second Michelin star came a few months after I started, which was outrageous in Copenhagen. Whoa, two Michelin stars. And it was a party for the whole city, you know. Everybody went crazy. And the world's 50 best thing just started in those yeah, years, no? Yeah. yeah, it just went crazy. It, did, it, didn't, uh, it didn't become number one while I was there. That was first after. But that doesn't matter because I was, I was on the rocket when it went into space, you know? And I was like, I remember uh, going from having uh, staff food in the lounge I don't know if you remember the old lounge where Bar also now has, has the lounge where yeah, yeah. we would literally sit maybe eight, ten people and eat on small tables like, yeah, you know, to staff food upstairs, 60 people. <laughs> It was like you need a canteen in the range of just maybe one, one and a half year. Everything just changed like that. No, That was crazy. That yeah. was really crazy. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm very, very happy to have been, have, uh, have been so privileged to be witnessing that on one hand and being a part of it it's just so 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 happy about that no? so so that were really it and but, but then also I realized okay what I want to do my my position there was uh, uh, you know often in those kitchen you have sort of a uh, in the sous chef level you have uh, the pragmatic doer and you have the creative uh, thinker no? and I was not the creative at all I was the pragmatic i was I was the one making things happen. I was making sure everything was under control. I made sure that uh, the scheduling was right and people were doing things and I was, got very good at sort of checking up and everything all the time and to me uh, an amazing uh, sort of a school of uh, training for myself 
for when I was going to go and open my own restaurant, right? Uh, but on the creative side, I, I felt not only that I didn't have um, sort of much uh, work with it, like I wasn't that much challenged, but, but then again, it wasn't like I wasn't asked to do it. I was, but I felt that my, my thinking and my ideas was not really suited for the place. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I, I wanted to play another kind of music. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, so my ideas would not really uh, uh, go in line with what was there. And, and that's when I realized, okay, I have to, I have to find my own place to, to create the space that I can, uh, can fill with my own uh, ideas, no? And that, and that's, uh, that's what became Relay. And Relay was a new chapter in, in your sort of gastronomical career and also for, for Copenhagen I mean it was basically one one not the first but one of the first uh, Noma offsprings that mm -hmm. really took, took off mm -hmm. um, a few words about Relay and Manfreds that we don't have anymore yeah uh, well to me it was a uh, it was very much my uh, trying to define my own kind of cooking you know? everybody would ask me oh what are you going to cook I, I, Like I don't know. <laughs> It's like uh, uh, um, I, I needed uh, a, a space where I was free to develop my own cooking. That was that was essentially it. So I I really did a lot, and I went a long way to 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 create something that would give me that freedom, and 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 I think that the output of Relay was 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 clear because uh, whether you liked it or not, it was unique, and that was because I I managed to create a space where I could do and and uh, discover what I liked myself. So I felt that there was a lot of character in the food uh, because I was free to, to develop it. Uh, and and um, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of what, what it became. And that's also why I was so happy to close it down after 10 years and kind of being able to, to say, okay, this was it, you know. I, I never imagined it would go so far. Uh, I, I dreamt it to be this, uh, this, this good and so important. And, and, I, and I really feel that the combination of the, the restaurant and the book, uh, I, I see so many people giving me uh, acknowledgement still today about how much it has influenced them. And, and I see it in restaurants. I see things that I know for a fact I came up with 10 years ago. I mean, and, and it just for me to see that, it's just, it's, it's, such a privilege and I'm so happy to, to to do so and I think that you know to to be able to um, it's not allowed for everybody to to venture into uncharted territory you you need you really need to take some chances and take some risks and have some some um, uh, uh, circumstances that, that allow you to do that and I'm very happy that I, I managed to create those for myself And I'm very happy that the output was something that has also been useful for other people. Because the way of making a restaurant like that, that was very chef-driven, that was very low-key, that was very uh, much as, as I intended it, as I was saying, you know, I want the chefs to be able to go out the back door and come in the front, as in, it's, it's for us, we just cook it for us, we do it. And I think that, that that was probably what made it resonate so much with so many industry people, that, that by far the ones that have always been telling me how much they love Relay and how much they, they liked it. And, and Manfreds was the same thing, but R Manfreds was just uh, uh, at, a, 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 at another layer, no? Uh, uh, it, w it was just a, even more casual, even more everyday. And, and as time, as Manfreds came up, then Relay was sort of allowed to, 
to refine itself a little bit more because Memphis took the rustic uh, uh, side of me uh, um, and and I could sort of fill that out there you know yeah. so so that's how I think also Memphis helped relay to to develop more and not just stay put in that in that, in that level no yeah and now we have uh, we have some excellent offspring from relay as well mm. Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, with with uh, Jonathan Tam. Yeah, he was the 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 chef de cuisine there. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. So with his Yatak restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very good. Yeah. Yeah. I was just there uh, uh, Sunday, so yeah, five five days ago. Okay, fantastic. Uh, yeah. Well, they, they did a, a special event with Sushi Anaba. Ah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And, yeah, and I think I I told them it was one of the best meals I've had in many years, and uh, at, at John Tam as always. Uh, also because you know the the cooking at the um, a, a lot of his cooking was a relay you know so a lot of his cooking was also uh, refined uh, by throwing it up at me and going back so so clearly what i really really like is some of the stuff that he has been doing you know you know what i mean so so w- he has i've i've pushed him to some direction and it's totally his own direction right but but it's very much uh, overlaps with what I really like. So, so for me, it's obvious that when I go eat there, that it just plays on some uh, notes that I really, yeah. really like yeah, a lot. Definitely. And I don't find them in other places. And I can go to other places and be like, okay, this just—I mean, this is just doesn't doesn't tickle anywhere. While while uh, his food for sure does, for sure does. Yeah, I mean, Chinese strongly Chinese influenced, mm-hmm. but still breeds a lot of. Uh, the atmosphere, some of the flavors, yeah. the attitude towards producing, so yeah, yeah. like at Relay. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. So, uh, if we, uh, as we are talking about World of Mouth here as well, um, and you are one of the experts there, tell me about uh, your hometown, Copenhagen. Some favorite places that you really love. You mentioned Yatak uh, mm-hmm. of Jonathan Tam. Uh, any other places if you go out to eat yeah. or? I would, I would actually, uh, I, I still haven't put it up on the app, but I will do soon. But the uh, Sex, is, I think, is a fantastic place. S-E-K-S. It's in, uh, it's in the center of the city and it's a Polish couple that has traveled the world with a gastronomic sort of uh, um, inspiration or for inspiration and uh, uh, they do this place that is truly unique uh, it's only in the day and they do breakfast and they do lunch uh, but I, I really feel that today in Copenhagen what we all need is something that goes post post Nordic right uh, that's also one of the ways that we uh, ventured about changing um, Mirabel like you know the the light oak and the you know the minimalism the scandy stuff is like oh my god oh, so much of this now you've had it yeah so so i think we, what we need is warmth and color and a little bit more diversity in that sense mm. and i think sex very much does that both on the food side where it doesn't uh, um, it's not scared to to have a little bit more of a global influence okay and and also uh, in the interior has it has this uh, this this personality to it you know because it requires for me for sure it requires personality to make something that it's not what you think everybody wants you know then, then you, if you don't do the nordic uh, looks like a nice coffee shop kind of thing somewhere between japan and and Copenhagen, 
then you're already put, putting your character out, and I think that uh, that has um, uh, it must be appreciated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good. Yeah. Something else? Uh, uh, I think uh, Ju Juju, uh, Christian Bauman's uh, Korean. Uh, I don't know if he calls it eatery or sort of a simple place. Uh, again, simple. I think Bauman is a little bit like uh, when when Noma does the casual restaurant. It's not really that casual, is it? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> to be a casual restaurant, you take muscles and you 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 throw them into a, a bowl. Uh, no, uh, Juju, the, the muscles are sort of fanned out like a, like a little uh, still leave my picture. No, uh, so it's not that casual, uh, or at least. The atmosphere might be casual, but the food is very, uh, very high level. I think that that's, uh, I think that's, it's, it's very good. Yeah, for okay. sure. Okay. Something else? Something Any else traditional, know. like super traditional Danish things? Well, I, 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 I use for that. I always use a palegel. Yeah. Uh, I think a palegel is. Uh, I think also I put it in the app. Um, palegel is, uh, is, it's just we don't. I don't feel that you know if you go to if you go to. Um, the best country you go to uh, El Cano, no? if you go to Milan, you go to Aimo and Adia, you go to these, there is these places that have 30, 50, 60 years of history and like you can feel it. In Denmark it's, it's, it's kind of hard uh, because uh, there, there is not these institutions in the same way and I think that the, the gastronomic history here is just a little bit less uh, defined so you don't have those places that really bring that forward. But I think one that, that kind of have, have taken that and has brings you a place in the center of the city where you feel that, you know, there's a lot of businessmen that go there for lunch and it has sort of a very local feel to it. Uh, that's for sure Palegal because the quality of the, the food is, is great. And, you know, if ever we want to sort of, uh, um, you know, have a little manager meeting or if I want to show some appreciation to some of the, of the guys here, and we're like five, six people. That would be an obvious place to go and, and have a very nice uh, lunch for sure. And that's basically smørbrød, or yes, one hundred percent. I think at dinner they do uh, a, a more like they don't do smørbrød because smørbrød is only for lunch. Yeah. So, so for dinner they do more sort of Danish cooking, uh, but I haven't I haven't used it much for dinner, mostly for for, for lunch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and as you have a uh, long, long uh, background experience from the baking stuff, uh -huh. uh, any uh, favorite bakeries among the ones? For me, for sure, the best bakery here is Juno Bakery. Juno Bakery, for sure. And, uh, and uh, there's no, there's no. Uh, 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 I think that you you see uh, many good things everywhere, right? But um, the what I, what I really feel makes the big difference with these things is also the level of conversion. Because what I think that, the, uh, uh, you know, if you get a kneel which is like this uh, cinnamon roll kind of thing at, at Juno, and you get it while it's, you know, an hour away from being pulled out of the oven, it's just fucking incredible, you know? And it might be fantastic, but 12 hours later, it's just not gonna be as good. and. I think Juno, as no other place, have been capable of hitting the right proportion between how much they make and how busy it is and how hyped it was made and how you know how how many people want to get stuff. So so everything is just they just barely get get it baked, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that to me makes it uh, uh, very 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 special. Uh, 
but there's plenty of uh, of, uh, of, uh, of bakeries but also to be honest I don't really eat that stuff that much <laughs> I kind of try and avoid it <laughs> so so it, it becomes a little bit uh, it becomes a uh, um, yeah, and also standing in line is like no man, I'm not, I'm done with that. Uh, yeah, you'll have to stand in line for that. Yeah, the good bakers. Yeah, here. so, so yeah. And their sourdough bread is it uh, as good as Mirabal's are? I think, to be honest, in in terms of uh, of pastries, da da da, and laminated doughs and stuff like this, uh, Mirabel uh, was was not the best uh, because Juno, as I said before, but also others have been very good at really expanding on that uh, but I do think that the that the, the wholesomeness and the rustic flavor of the bread of Mirabel uh, n- nobody has been uh, capable to repeat and uh, what I find interesting about it is that it's because when, when we started with Mirabel and I know Chad Robertson and he's a friend and, blah, 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 and then everybody said oh, yes yeah. so so uh, they say oh uh, they're, they're just doing the satin bread which is not what we're doing because the satin bread is way too complicated for, for for my approach, uh, there's a lot of folding, there's a lot of this, there's a lot of steps blah, 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 to make it this beautiful open crumb, right? <clears throat> and uh, I, I I didn't want to want to do that because I just found it too complicated, and also I didn't like to do what the guy was doing one to one. I wanted us to find our own thing. So so the way we do it is we ferment it in bulk and we barely shape it. We just cut it up, put it in a basket, and throw it in the oven. It's very 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 simple, but in the end, it makes for a bread that is not as beautiful. But the flavor is more developed, and we can use a flour that does not require so much strength as it does to make the big open loaf. But I think, and I find it very uh, symptomatic of the times that we're in, that nobody tries to copy the bread that we do, and everybody wants to copy the bread that Satin does. I think that that's a lot of fun because everybody prefers doing it way more complicated to potentially make it look 10% more beautiful, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the flavor is not the same. I think, well, go ahead. You guys go ahead and do that. We just stick to our bread. And we will keep selling the bread, no? But very, very limited amount here in uh, just in the afternoon. And yeah. we just mostly want to use it for the restaurant. Because that was another thing, you know? We spend a lot of energy baking bread for other cafes to make good sandwiches in other places. And then, for yeah. what reason? Yeah. Like, there's yeah. no point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a few places uh, elsewhere in the world. Oh that man! You would you would love? Yeah, uh, uh, there there is a, um, there has not been a lot of traveling on my part to be honest. Uh, I think uh, uh, of fun places. I would say Tripa in Milano is also just banging it. He's all over the place. Diagrossi. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, and uh, I think it's fantastic, and that that uh, a person cooking awful can be so. Uh, so successful and so revered and the, the food is rustic you know and in Italy he's just a superstar now and and I think that that kind of shows uh, that in Copenhagen even though we are all so ahead of our time and da, 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 we haven't really developed that far you know what I mean because uh, uh, here you are still more uh, renowned if you make some fucking chamomile looking flowers stamped out with dill oil and that kind of shit while a person that is capable of, of putting those things on a plate and having a packed restaurant cooking awful entirely only that's just I think that that's just mind blowing that that's possible and that would never happen in Denmark never 
No, not yet. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. We hope we get we get to that point. Um, uh, yeah, that's honestly like my 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 traveling has is uh, is for the last few years has just been so limited. Uh, so yeah. Anything in Italy, Sicily? Well, for me, uh, uh, in in Italy, you have uh, Reale with Nico Romito is uh, uh, the best meal I've had in Italy for sure. Uh, at, at that uh, at that level, uh, I I have a few. Um, uh, what's the name? Il Drago. Uh, I had a fantastic uh, experience in a very small restaurant in Randazzo in Sicily. Uh, Il Drago was the name. I need to look up the name, which is just trattoria in, uh, uh, on a square in front of a monastery that is closed down and it's just so Sicilian. And you know the wine. When you look at the wine, it's like okay, this is not your normal restaurant. Like they have proper, proper wines and small producers and da da da. And there's also a little wine shop in the in the town that gets has all the right producers. Like that is is very particular. Uh, and the food there, what kind of dishes would they? Super traditional uh, uh, Sicilian uh, dishes. No, so you have uh, macaroni alla norma, and you have some. Uh, uh, rabbit and, and stuff like this very 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 uh, very simple and actually I went to uh, celebrate my uh, my girlfriend's uh, birthday there uh, because we went Sicily uh, must have been uh, one year ago yeah, yeah when she was still pregnant um, fantastic place but I have so much I have to discover in Sicily uh, to be honest um, um, and yeah, traveling, you know, you must know, uh, uh, you know, when you were interested in travel and gastronomy, the last three, four years has been kind of uh, uh, strange. Limited, yeah. Yeah, very yeah. limited. Uh, then if you uh, tomorrow could uh, leave your kids home and with your girlfriend travel anywhere in the world to have uh, a meal in a restaurant, yeah. which, uh, which restaurant could that be? Well, to me, uh, uh, like, I, I would want to bring my girlfriend somewhere where I really feel that she I want to share the experience uh, with her uh, because uh, 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 I can talk about it but she doesn't know uh, and uh, for sure it would be uh, Echibari that would be my, my, my in the best country yeah, yeah. That, just my whole days there at the, in the best country uh, I've, I've always been fantastic and I think Echibari has that that perfect um, mix of Staying simple, but actually developing the place. You know, it's capable of renewing itself without doing it too much. And and uh, I, I've, I've we had we had a meal there where I, where I had uh, uh, a good amount of my crew back then. Uh, uh, we were like five six people, and it was just out of this world, out of this world. Uh, and I think. What's your name a favorite dish from Echibari? Well, there's obviously the shrimps. You know, they just get the grilled and. They also did this chorizo tartare kind of thing, which was like, it was grilled, half grilled, like, man, it, it just blew my mind, man. It just blew my mind. It, and that's, again, it's in the simplicity where you just find the most bright ideas. And, and uh, uh, you know, it, there is not a lot of those restaurants around, I think, um, to, to, I think actually Yatak has a little bit of that. You have a very simple dish, and then, and there is just something under the layers, where you say this was smart. That's that's a good idea. Uh, that that to me is what uh, what makes me excited, and that's also why I am not super inspired to go out to most fine dining restaurants today because 
uh, it really feels that uh, so uh, it's like I was saying before no, it's just layer cakes with more and more layers on top and it just doesn't it doesn't inspire me that you build a, a lot of layers around uh, the food uh, and you know you can have uh, big screens and theatrical uh, things around it uh, but if I, if I want to have food that is cutting edge I really need to be able to to let the food shine through and not all the gibberish around it you know and I, I I don't think that the the trends right now, uh, at least in Copenhagen, are, are, are very much going in that direction. I think it's kind of going backwards a little bit to before the Noma time, to where uh, things get to go a little bit more like the Spanish times, no? Like a lot of craziness. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a that's. And a, with Spanish times, you mean creative or? Yeah, more like this. Uh, uh, we go back to. Because the, the Noma time was like um, fu- the food and the produce and the ingredients should be very much shining through and tell you what they mm. are, right? So no- Noma became famous with the uh, turbot and celeriac and watercress. No? Like, it was very clear. But also Noma developed to such an extent that, uh, you know, the fermentations and all that crazy shit now... You see things, but they're not what they seem to be. So, and that was what it was. Uh, what was the ability time? You know, you see a uh, uh, foam and it's a carrot, uh, or you, you. It looks like uh, soy, but it's something else, and so on, and so on, and so on. And there's this deconstruction that I think sometimes uh, it's it's going almost too far with the creative uh, uh, work on the produce and. Uh, uh, that's why I think Ejibari, uh shines through. <clears throat> it's because you have the courage to put three shrimps on a plate. Like that, you you really need to have they'll, some. They'll have to be good. Yeah, <laughs> like th- what what do you hide behind? You know, and and this way of putting exceptional amount of hours in making strange conceptual things above the three shrimps. Uh, I just don't think it's very productive. I think it's counterproductive, and and. You know, when once you have these kitchens of 50, 60 people, you need to have uh, work for them to do, <laughs> and then you start making shit up because uh, what what else are they going to do? You, uh, you don't need 50, 60 people to put three shrimps on the plate, but that re- it requires much more character and uh, and courage to to do the three shrimps than the 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 the, the crazy shit. No, so. Yeah, like one one, and that's actually it's directly connected to to Ichibari actually. But but Fire Door in in uh, in Australia. Sydney, yeah. Yeah, uh, Lennox, he was also here. He's a good friend of mine. But he has that thing, no? He has the courage. And you see, they opened a new place, a Gilda or something. You, you just see the pictures from there. And like yeah, that's that's just that's gotta be good, man. Uh, like it looks fucking good. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a, a little bit. Uh, I'm gonna feel uh, very soon. I'm gonna feel uh, like I'm an old school kind of guy, you know, because I, I prefer things a little bit more uh, straightforward. Uh, yeah. Very good. With these uh, finishing words, we'll let you go down and start the new chapter in your yes. restaurant life. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Christian. Thank you, Kenneth. Thank you for listening to the World of Mouth podcast with Christian Puglisi in Copenhagen. 
Find all of the recommendations mentioned in this episode and more on the World of Mouth app, available in your app store, or visit our website at worldofmouth.app. I'm Kenneth Nars. Until next week, when we talk with Chef Santiago Lastra in London. Thank you.